Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Good to have you all here. If you're new with us this morning, my name is Alex Little. Um, I'm one of the pastors on staff here and uh, preach occasionally. So I get the opportunity this week to conclude our series on Galatians. Uh, so last, uh, this is the sixth week of going through the book of Galatians. So Paul had wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia and area. Um, and I was trying to think about through, like, through this. So the staff has been meeting for like eight weeks or so, kind of talking about the book. And I was like trying to think through the things I, I even took away, or I've been taking away from it. I think one important fact is, uh, this is like one of the first letters that Paul wrote, and there's issues in the church. And then guess what? We still have issues today. Like, ah, it's people, people getting together, there will be issues. And so the issue that Paul is facing that we've been talking about is this idea of circumcision. So I fall kind of into the camp of those that were Jewish believers what they wanted from those that became Gentile believers, those that weren't Jewish, that now knows who Christ is, of what they needed to do to be involved in the community. And so one camp is really more fighting for the idea of ethnicity. For you to be now considered part of us, you also need to start looking like us. And so this external, external piece. So instead of like the idea, there's an idea of like, well, now you have to follow all these 613 laws, you have to become, do all these things. In a lot of ways, it looks like majority of these people were just pushing for the idea of getting circumcised, following kosher, and then um, following the Sabbath. Like, you need to look like one of us. Because I think it really comes down to identity. Like, where do you find that your identity? Like, that's what people are asking. And so you have these Jewish believers that they found really the identity within their ethnicity. Like, we need to look like this. This is what we've done. This is who the people of God are. And now Paul is saying, idea, no. Our identity is found in a different place. So identity is not found in this external look that we just don't have to look right. Our identity now of who we are and how we're seen is perceived by our change of heart. The things that God does inside of us that comes out in a different way. So our identity is no longer tied into these acts, but to the type of people that we are, which is much harder to try to figure out. It's the lines are less clear that way. But Paul, through this argument, is said, like, okay, I've talked to the right people. Here's these ideas about the law, how they're involved in the, of Abraham, the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so you kept making through the last five chapters this argument, which I like. I get chapter six, which is nice because a lot of it is actually much more of um, how do we apply it. Like if we're going to have disagreements, because we are going to have disagreements, maybe some ways what it looks like for have these conversations. That there is this group of people that have been following God their whole life, even though Christ may be new to them, they have been serving God from the time they were a child. And now these people coming in who grew up in a way different way of life, you know, probably believed in much different gods. Now they're saying that Christ is their life and following the one true God. How do these people come together? So what does these conversations look like between the two of them? And so Paul kind of does a really good job, I think, really like giving some meat to like how we can do that. And I think how we can do it 
even are today, how we can have conversations within the church. Uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then I'll start reading um, in chapter five. Uh, Lord, my desire is that your words be preached. Lord, that there's something in this message that you're working on people's hearts, a change in our own church in some way if needed. Lord, but ultimately, like, Lord, would you guide us? We got our minds, guide my words. I want them to be yours, Lord. Um, just thank you for being here today in your name. Amen. So Galatians 5, we're going to start the very last couple of verses, just because I think it's helps set up the approach to chapter 6. So Galatians 5.25 reads, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This word conceited is this, uh, can be kind of translated as like empty honor. And so it gives a, an image of two sides. One of the image of being superior, and also is the image of being inferior. And so part of the, the superior side is like, I'm, like, yeah, I am better than. Like, my life, I'm better than you. Or the inferior side kind of is like, everybody else is better than me. The problem with both of these sides is it places you in the center of your own life. It's not Christ being the center, it's you being the center, because you look around you, and then you start to do, you start to compare yourself to everybody else. Like, is this person better than me? Oh, I'm better than that person. At least they don't, like, my life at least is better than them, because you see what they do? And so you start playing this comparison piece, but it's also, it's like, how do you interact with the people around you when you're always going, are, am I better than you, or are you better than me? So, like, this comparison thing, I, I think it shows up so much. Um, I have a couple of rants, I'll try to this message, and so I'll try to do my best not to get too passionate about them. Uh, but what I find is, so part of my other job is I go down to a school district uh, once a week and do counseling with students. And one of the things, I'm, I've become this old guy now, that's like those kids and their technology. Um, I don't know where that happened with, uh, but there is a piece though, of like, I meet some of these students, and this comparison, comparison thing controls their life. Social media, in a lot of ways, have seriously affected how they view themselves. I, mean, I think it's adults the same way. I think it's just kids. But I can see it coming up in kids. They look at the people on their feeds, and they go, Am I, how do I compare to that person? So you have all these, and I want to say especially girls, and it shows up in like all these mental health statistics that go on. But you have these girls that are all comparing their looks like how great they are? Are they comparing like what they wear and their clothes? Like you're never going to stack up against someone else's best part of their life. So I meet with these kids, and they can't. They feel like they have no self worth because all they do is compare themselves to these other people. I feel like part of our job as followers of Christ because we have a God that says, hey, we're enough, that speaks into our purposes, that says that you have a future. I feel like our job is to speak into their lives too. If you have a kid, um, like I don't, not to become legalistic in any way, I mean this whole message is not about not being legalistic, but just be careful about what your kids consume. 
Because the world is going to transform them in some way. For yourself, be careful what you consume. If you start looking at everybody's houses and what they have, what car they drive, how great their husband or spouse is, because I imagine this is actually not true, but it's what they show in social media. If you start comparing yourself to all that stuff, there's a transformation that's going on in you that basically says that you're never going to be good enough. So you have to fight. Either you have to go to the idea of never good enough or I'm better than everybody else. Everybody should be more like me. But that places us outside the idea of how we interact with each other. Because the idea is like, hey, how do we be family? How do we come along? How do we be part together? Because if I put my center in my life, is that all that matters but you of how you impact me. So I think that's why we look at this first few verses in chapter five, because it's our approach to how we interact with the body. So verse six, uh, chapter six, verse one here. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So brothers, so those that believe in Christ, doesn't matter if you're Gentile or Jewish, but you believe in Christ Jesus. If anyone is caught in transgressions, like have sin or falling away, guess what? If you're around here long enough, we're all going to do that. We're all going to fall in some way. We're all going to be like transformed by the patterns of this world in some capacity. That we do need each other in our life. Like that's going to happen. But I love how Paul, like how you do it. Earlier in the, the book, Paul talked about who he was before he came to know Christ, before his conversion. This is why I think he word, used the word gentleness. He could pull out any of the fruits of the spirit. But he pulled out gentleness. Because he was someone who was not gentle. He was a believer in God. He was raised to believe in God. But how he interacted with everybody else around him who did not believe in the same way that he believed. He was known to attack. He was known to abuse. And so now they became a follower of Christ. The transformation that God did within him this idea of like how we interact with each other now is the idea of gentleness. Like they, they, those of you who are spiritual, it comes to mind to like those that are mature. It's not about having more knowledge to be mature. It's not about not knowing even the scriptures better than someone else. Maturity comes in actually how you interact with those around you. This idea, the gentleness word is um, not the idea of like, you know, being soft with someone. Um, it's actually this idea of power under, under control. So what I think of, so my son, Cashton, so we have these kittens, they're getting a little bit older now, but he loves them a ton. Loves them probably too much. Uh, so he like picks them up and carts them around and um, holds on to them like, hey, don't, I love you, don't run away from me. Uh, but so we're always like the idea of Cashton, be gentle. Like, hey, be gentle with the cats. They're like alive, they can be hurt. Like, not just a toy. So teaching him like to be gentle with it. But because he has this power, he is bigger and he can control what they are doing. They haven't learned how to fight back yet, which I don't understand. Uh, but, so, but so he can hold on to him. But it's the same way for us. That maybe we do have more knowledge. 
Maybe we do in some ways have been living our faith longer. But it's the idea of how we come and approach the person that we see something wrong. So this is for me personally. This is how I approach it. So you don't have to do this. But like my belief is that God is working in everybody's life. I believe God cares enough about everybody in this room, everybody in the world, that God is doing something in their life. So I can meet someone, especially for like a more of like a discipleship relationship. I can look at them and say, these are the things that you need to change. Because we can. We can look at someone and judge. And say, well, this is wrong about you, and this is wrong about you, and this is wrong about you. We can do that. But like, I, ask this question, I like to ask a question. What is God doing in their life that I can join? So one, it makes me get to know them. And I promise you get to know someone more, you actually have more empathy for them. You care about them a lot more. You get an idea of what's going on in their life. You can step in their shoes a little bit. So when you get to know someone and find out what God is actually doing in their life, that you can join them. That's easier to walk alongside them and be a part of what God is doing. This piece of gentleness... I think it's very evident and important to who we are as followers of Christ today. Because we are living in a world that is saying it's okay to be angry. If I disagree with you, it's okay to be angry. I used to listen to talk radio all the time when I was younger. <laughs> so they go, oh. And there was uh, one day where the, uh, the host of the show was telling this young guy to no longer spend time with his family because of their difference of belief. And that was the day I turned it off. But we get that more and more and more of like, hey, we can't have a relationship if we disagree. And it's okay for me to be angry about whatever the other person believes. It's okay for me to attack them. I believe if we're going to be different as a church, if the world doesn't look at us differently, if we're going to be identified by something different, I feel like gentleness is going to be one of the most important things that we have to be known for. If you look at, like, it's like even in media of trying to get your attention, they found that if they can put things in front of you that you get angry about, you're actually more likely to spend more time in that feed or in that marketing tool that they have. So the more angry you can stay, so they find out what you get angry about, and they keep feeding you that more and more. Like, man, that pattern has to be created in our lives that we have to be very, very, very careful about. Like, you should read the news. You should do all those things or whatever. But recognize, though, like, if you start catching yourself, it's like, I am angry at everyone. But there's someone that I know that has a difference of belief in me, and I'm going to have a hard time having any sort of grace for them. Maybe a change needs to be made. Because if maturity is going to be seen as being gentle, it's a good litmus test for ourselves. Like, are we mature there? Can we be gentle with the people around us? I'll keep reading. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and, this reason, and his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Being involved in community, we have both sides to this piece. For one, it's our responsibility to bear each other's burdens. 
but it's also our responsibility to share with those around us so they can help bury, uh, carry our burdens also. We're not supposed to do this alone. And I think Paul really does bring in here, recognizing, because we have these, this language used in other places in the scripture of when it comes to the law. The law is the idea of when you heap that onto someone, like you're adding to their burden. You're adding to the weight of them. So we have to be careful that even our own belief system that we have for ourselves, that we're not adding more to the person itself. Because Christ, believing Christ should bring freedom. It should bring freedom. It should bring being able to feel more light. Not so heavy. Not so cumbersome. If you feel burdened by so much stuff, maybe there's something wrong there. Maybe there's a wrong starting spot. But then we're supposed to be a group of people that can come along inside each other and bear each other's burdens. I do love the fact that knowledge is to make sure you acknowledge your own burdens too, that you have, because you've got to carry them. Sometimes when you're unhealthy yourself, it's really hard to be good for someone else. That they look at your own life, what's going on in your own soul, where you are struggling, and work on that. To have a season where like, you need to be restored so that you can be more healthy for those around you. I find sometimes, though, the most, most unhealthy people are the people that do want to become more superior. Like, I got it all together. My life's great. You should be more like me. And when they're dying inside, it's really hard to bring the, fruits, the fruit of the Spirit out, the love of Christ out, when you yourself is dying inside. Keep reading here in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whoever for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Stop there for a second. I don't think we really need to over-spiritualize this concept of reaping, sowing and reaping. It's pretty evident, like, if you plant wheat, you get to wheat. You know, if you plant some wheat, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what comes up. Maybe watermelon, corn, we don't know. No, whatever you plant is going to come up in your life. I think about someone, maybe you can have this image in your head of someone that you know who's older, maybe their 70s or 80s, that are just bitter. It's not that they woke up one morning and go like, man, I want to be a bitter old person. Like, I want little kids to run away from me. That's what I really want in my life. No, it's years of years of years of allowing that bitterness to corrupt themselves. That what we sow, we will also reap. Go back to the idea of anger. If you see anger in your life pop up over and over and over again, it's not like in five years from now, you're just going to be now happy and joyous, be known for how nice you are to everybody. The anger will take hold of you. I like to think about it like this. Like, with the patterns that we create in ourselves is that we become more and more evident in our lives. So I don't know if it was because of looking at this idea of gentleness, but the other day I was driving and I was like, that idiot and that idiot and that idiot. Like I was, I was like, it was so I caught myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, Alex. 
Like, what is going on with you? Like, everything was bothering me. And so if I was to, like, back up a little bit in my life and go, okay, what is going on? Like, I would say, like, what I've been sowing lately is this idea of being irritated at everything. I've been allowing things in my life just to get annoy me. And I just find it catching myself more and more just being irritated at the smallest things. What I'll sow, I will reap. What I'm not becoming, I'm not becoming the dad I really want to be. Because kids aren't going to annoy you. It's just truth. Like they, they're going to annoy the crud out of you sometimes. But if you are always irritated and living in that way, like how you want to handle the situation, it's not going to be great. If you're with your spouse or a significant other, and all you do is get more and more irritated, it's really going to be hard to see the good things in them. So you start creating these patterns that are going to come out in ways that you don't want them to come out. Hard thing is a lot of times when you get to that place, you don't even recognize it anymore. I am now this person. The beauty of Christ is that he can transform us. So even if you are the way that we are right now, he can move in us and change us. You can start sowing something different. So what in your life right now do you need to sow? When you think about your future that you want to become more like, what aspects, aspects do you need to start doing now? What habits do you need to create? What choices do you need to make so that you can become more like this person later on? That's why I think it's beautiful that we're part of a community because we should be able to help us caught our transgressions, to see those patterns and move on. If we were like the idea of, we go back to the idea of superior and inferior. If we feel like we're superior, it's like we don't walk well with someone. But we're also inferior, we don't believe that we can actually like, tell someone, hey, I see this in your life, maybe it should look different. Because you don't feel like you can. But we need to be a group of believers that can be transparent, have hard conversations, not run away from them, but do them in a way that's loving and kind, that's gentle. But say, like the piece, to come back and to look in your own life and go, okay, what is going on with me right now? Where does God need to do a good work in me to make a change? Because I really don't like what I'm becoming. Because we have to realize that we are going to be transformed by something. We're going to be formed by the things around us in some way. So, like, uh, part of my belief is you should have different communities in your life. So I would say, like, your first community should be a group of believers. These are the people that you allow the most impact into your life. You allow them to say the most things to you, that they're the ones that have the most effect on who you are. But then you should also be around other, believe, or other people, people that you work with, or friends, or stuff like that, aren't believers. Like, they should be part of your community. But what happens sometimes is when that other place becomes your first community, that they transform. But I would say, like, some of us are more introverts, or we don't interact as much with people. But whatever we're interacting with, if it's, you know, Netflix, or media, or something else, that becomes our first community that speaks into us. Like, that's what's going to be transforms us. Because even these problems that Paul sees in Galatia, these problems that church is having, he doesn't say stop meeting. He doesn't say, like, well, that was a good try. Like, let's be done now. 
No, like we're supposed to be in community. So verse, let's do 11 here. So see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised for that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the word has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them upon, and upon Israel of God. Let's finish it off. For uh, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Like this, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter. We, uh, if you've ever been to like our one-on-one class or what's called our intro class now, um, part of real life is you can differ on kind of your beliefs. Um, so maybe it's good in church, you have heard like Arminianism or Calvinist, or uh, in Calvinist. Like it's kind of separate sides, two different beliefs. And so a lot of times you walk into a, a church and you go, you say like, hey, what do you believe in this, this idea? And they say, well, you need to believe this. And we were kind of more open-handed, like, hey, you can believe this, or you can believe this. And there's a bunch of different areas of what that looks like. And guess what? It causes issues with us. Because we do have people walking in and like, why don't you teach this? I'm like, well, there's good scripture on both sides. There's arguments there. You know, the church has been fighting about this for years and years and years and years. So you can have your own kind of thoughts towards what it is. It causes tension because it allows you to kind of come up with those ideas yourself. But in the end, they don't really matter. Because what Paul brings back to is what really matters is what Christ did on the cross. Where do we boast? We don't boast in how good or articulate we are in some theology piece of it. What we boast in, and which makes sure we have the foundation, is we boast in what Christ did on the cross for us. The law of Christ was is the basic idea of to love your neighbor. And Christ on the cross showed how to love his neighbor. They give of his life is willing to die for us. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.